What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. you friendly force users and welcome to another episode of echo station podcast i'm your host chris and i'm here with my ever lovely host ian hello it's me hi and today uh we are back for another season of our mini episodes i guess like a mini series episodes of the manifesto and we have a special guest with us today um mr lawrence green hello everybody Yay, he's zooming in all the way from sunny Southern California. How yes. is it there? Yeah, It's doing uh, it's quite nice, actually. I mean, you know, with the change of the time, uh, everything kind of shut down a little bit early, but still warm out here. So we're enjoying it for as long as we can. I imagine things are a little bit cooler back where you guys it's are. cold. Yeah, well, yesterday was beautiful, but it's pretty cool now. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's getting towards the, the wintry season, so meh. It didn't yeah. snow, though. It snowed last week, so that was that was a thing. Yes. Uh, so yes, Lawrence is joining us from sunny California, and uh, we are very very happy to have him on as a guest to talk everything about the first episode of Mandalorian season two. Uh, but before episode. we do Big that, episode. yes, before we do that though, we have a bit of Star Wars news. Um, Chris, what do you have for us? Um, if you miss it, you might want to check out uh, another. Um, there was a mini animation drop. Um, I'm forgetting what the series is called. You can help me out. Galaxy of Adventures. Yes, Galaxy of Adventures. Yes. Uh, mini drop of um, some nice uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi mythos, if you want to. It's very cute. You know, cute little what. Uh, yeah, so give that, a, give that a check out. It's, you know, short little watch, worth watching. And you'll learn some more about Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's, it reminds me a lot of, like, like, why isn't this, like, an actual, like, style of a animated series that we're getting? Like, why can't this be a full... Right. It's very cute. It's very well done. Why can't it be a full 30 minutes? There should just be an entire thing. Yeah. Agreed. And also, can we get a full Obi-Wan Kenobi series already? Hmm. Not until 2021, supposedly. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I'm not holding my breath, but I'll keep my fingers crossed. Uh, and then other news-wise, not a whole lot is happening. Squadrons got a update where they dropped a bunch of Mandalorian-themed items for your starship. So you can have like a baby awesome. Yoda bobblehead inside of your cockpit, which is really cute. That's great. And like an IG unit and like the uh, Razor Crest, like a little mini Razor Crest and everything. It's really cute. Uh, and then 
the uh, EA has posted a job listing, and it's for I think an animator or something. I cannot remember exactly what the job listing was for, but it said for work on a new IP project and a new Star Wars game. Star mm. Wars action game. Interesting. So, so we know that uh, what is it? Jedi Fallen Order Two is going to be coming out. We already know that. And we know there's going to be definitely a sequel for Squadrons because of how well it's done. And Battlefront 3 is somewhere on the horizon. So is it going to be one of those games or is it going to be a completely new one? I don't know. It'd be interesting if they decide to put out a completely new property again and not continue with what they have right now, considering right. the last few things have been quite a big success. What would, what would you want to see, Lawrence, if it's a new game? Well, um, I can't remember her name, but there is a very well-established game producer, and I'm sorry, I'm just having a mental block on her name, and I know she had a Star Wars game in development for some time. Um, I don't know if that was just frozen a few years ago, or if it's been... I know what you're talking about. Uh, I think it got, like, dissolved. Okay, so whatever she was working on, which I was understanding was going to be the the resurrection of the great 1313 from about 10 years ago, which was supposed yes. to be about the lower Coruscant, which probably would have filled in the backstory on, you know, at least Jango Fett, but that most of that may now be paused because of where we are with the Mandalorian. But if we had some sort of the Star Wars city life, you know, what it was for, for someone living in that universe on a day to day who wasn't, you know, a solo cowboy or an adventurer or a pilot, something along those lines. I think uh, if that's where they're going to kind of fill in that space, I'd be very excited for something like that. I agree. Uh, when they released the trailer and the like small gameplay footage that we got for 1313, I was very excited for it. Oh, yeah. it looked really cool. And then Disney was like, no, you can't have that. No. Right. And it was beyond state of the art. It, it was testing on, I think, as I recall, systems that weren't even mainstream then. So if they were to do that kind of same approach where they're going to really push the art and the horsepower of the machines, especially because we're on the cusp of next gen machines, um, I, I think they would have a winner on their hand. I agree. It was, it reminded me very much of like, you know, the rumors of you know, new game engines, new effects, and everything reminded me very much of how they were uh, advertising the very first Force Unleashed game. Yes. With, like, mm -hmm. the physics of that game and, like, the wood yeah, breaking yes. and the glass and everything was, you know, real time, basically. And that was going to be in this game, but amplified times 10, basically, is what I understood. Right. And so if if it's something that's sort of the spiritual successor of that, um, I mean, let's have it. I mean, and when I say let's have it, I know we're talking two to three years if they're hiring you know, let's have it. Yes. Um, Chris, what would nice you want to see? Have, uh, something similar like that. I mean, I'm always for really immersive role-playing with um, kind of excessive world-building put in. You know, I, I we've talked about this before. I would love, and if it's if it happens to be with the Old Republic, it would be even better. Um, I would love to have a Skyrim-style Star Wars game. Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. That'd That's be very fun. Wish list, top of my wish list. I I would love it to be a new IP, but also like I'm jonesing for Battlefront Three. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I grew up on the Battlefront games. Actually, today uh, they released online that it has been 15 years ago today that Battlefront Two, the original Battlefront Two, was released. Wow. Yeah. 
So we're recording this on the 1st of November, so 15 years ago today was Battlefront 2's release, so don't you feel old. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I won't That's, say uh, how old I was 15 game years ago. systems ago, I think. Help. But, yeah. so, Battlefront 3, I would love it. I mean, if they integrate what they're doing with squadrons, ship-wise, with the space combat in... Uh, Battlefront 3, I think it's going to make a lot of people happy. Yep. So, yeah, they, they learned from their mistakes with the first one, so. I should hope so. Well, I, and the mistakes with the second one, too. So I don't know. If I see one bit of, like, loot box, I'm going <laughs> to flip my shit. I'm convinced they got a rocket docket right from Bob Iger's office after that went down and said, and it just had two words, not again, period. And yeah, you or maybe four words, not again, next line, fix it. And that was it. And they're like scrambling, just going, no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I I would hope they learn from their mistakes. But like I said, we don't know. Also, like I said, uh Jedi Knight Fallen Order Two uh would be great because that was a fun game. Make it a little bit longer for as long me. As there's but people it was who great. Pay, you know, who knows? Mm. Oh yeah. And of course it's gonna be people who pay because it's Star Wars. Exactly. Um, but so that does it for us news-wise. Um, we're going to take a very quick break, and then we're going to have Lawrence talk about himself, because you're probably wondering, who the hell is this man? Who is his voice? <laughs> so stay tuned, guys. We'll be back in just a moment. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we're back. Uh, so, uh, Chris, in- introduce Lawrence to our, okay. our listeners. Sure, sure. So, uh, Lawrence and I go way back. Um, I have known Lawrence. Uh, I think I was still a teenager when I met you, actually. That's really funny. Uh, yeah, at um, the Fashion Institute uh, Design Merchandise Celebration of All Costume Love in, I'm going to say, 2005 or seven, something like that. It was a celebration of all the costumes from all the Star Wars movies. It was a six-month special event yeah, at the, film... the Design and Merchandise in Los Angeles. I'm trying to remember what the... The, the Dressing a Galaxy exhibit. Thank you. That's it. Dressing a Galaxy. Which is where I got the the Bible, as we call it on our show. Um, yes. It's the, uh, the Trisha Bigger um, giant hardcover coffee table book of all the costumes from the movies um, that were featured in this beautiful exhibit. Um, I thought we met before that, though. I thought we met at that film thing. Oh, wait a minute. We did meet. You're right. 
We met on a film thing, right? Yeah. I'm embarrassed to say I still have my Trisha Bigger books in the original case pack. <laughs> but uh, mine are so well used. It's that's even more embarrassing. Oh, well, touche to you. Mine are are just giant memorials to Star Wars. But you're right. Actually, it was at a um, a film project. Yeah. That was being shot on the West Side. Um, and they needed dedicated Star Wars fans to uh, serve as both um, primarily background actors, but a few small minor roles uh, in support of the main cast. Yeah, and it was a so it was like a spec kind of script. This is when uh, they were just first playing with the idea of there being a live action Star Wars. <clears throat> excuse me, live action Star Wars series. Uh, so we were basically filming what would be a pilot. You know they were gonna throw out there um and it ended up you know going nowhere and it's just a fan film and you could i'm pretty sure you can probably still find it online but it was a lot of so. fun they yeah put it a was a lot, lot of fun of and, and beautiful sets actually yep. absolutely gorgeous immersive uh, immersive sets um great sound they put some great cgi into it it was very cool and you know the story was cool but yeah didn't get picked up and now here we are many many years later and we have all the star wars series dream has been realized but we are not part of it yeah well i mean to those guys credit you know they were bold they were trying to literally pitch uh a, an original idea to make a star wars live action show as chris said but um while that didn't work a, a beautiful friendship right out of casablanca was born and, Absolutely. and so here we are uh, a full trilogy and and show later um but it was um uh just part of my Star Wars journey. Um, I go way back with Star Wars. I won't say how many of the original nine or the core nine I've seen in the theater on original screening. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm old school. Um, and then I'm retired now or semi-retired, but I was a member of the File First and the Rebel Legion. Um, and I've done some um, work for Lucasfilm in both official and unofficial capacities. Um, and then uh, if you also want to set your way back machine a, a little ways on uh, original G4, because G4 TV is coming back in some shape, way, or form. Yes, it is. Uh, when they needed um, Star Wars uh, characters for some of their um, sketches, and this was when G4 had moved to Los Angeles, um, because they originally started in San Francisco with Tech TV. Um, it was my phone that would ring and be like, well, we need a couple of stormtroopers or we need a, we need a Vader. So um, I've been in a, fortunate, I've been able to help coordinate, uh, at least back in the day, the, the G4 Star Wars events. Uh, and you can see me in some of the old footage that they used to shoot. Um, so uh, I've had my, my, uh, my love of Star Wars basically since childhood all the way through now. And I've been able to also kind of give back to the community um, as well, doing stuff on behalf of, of the official companies and then the other uh, tie-ins to, you know, show love, uh, protect the brand, and keep spreading the Star Wars love. And I've, I've done quite a few events um, uh, in an official capacity as Luke um, and at charity events, um, you know, events at the Naval Hospital that deals with uh, child and intensive care unit, they, those don't get quite the the press coverage that, you know, the parade in cities get. Sure, sure. They're just, um, they're up there on, on priority for the benefit to the public. And um, they provided me with a, a window into just 
how much love there is for Star Wars. Um, when I would dress to represent, 99% uh, of the time I was Luke. Well, I'm always Luke. It's either Luke in armor or Jedi Luke or yeah. in fatigues. Once in a blue moon, it was Luke in the Tatooine, but I had to really grow that 70s mullet out for that one. That was Ooh. a funny, funny day. That was a yes. great day. <laughs> yes, it was because I uh, put my lightsabers down one place and there were some, there was a, as there always is in these things, there's always personal drama in the background. Well, my light, I put my lightsabers up vertically and as the force would have it, they slid down perfectly and smashed the lenses out of our Darth Vader who had his helmet on the ground. And since he was being a rather unkind individual, uh, the force saw its way to justice. Um, oh boy. Yeah, but we had we had a lot of fun uh, raising a lot of money for a small comic shop. Um, and so, um, you know, it, it's been it's been a journey. Um, but I will say, that, you know, at one of the Naval Institute um, uh, reunions, because that's what they had for for children that survived very traumatic medical. Um, experiences. There was one uh, small uh, young man there, and he his name was Luke, but he wanted to speak with Luke, and he had um, some severe signs of of many of the procedures. He went under a lot of radiation uh, burns, and you know he was uh, losing his hair, but he was active. And you know, um, as I recall, I was actually suiting out, and they said, "No, Luke wants to meet Luke." So I got back into the gear, went out, spent some time. And I found out sometime later he had fully recovered, and uh, it's been it's been several years since then. But I, I hope he's still out there loving Star Wars and has a pleasant memory from that. So that that was that's a, a quick snapshot into some of the things that I've done um, and the positive side of being a star. And you know, you can always find something to argue about, but it's oh, sure. it's part of my experience in in it is to bring a little joy where I can. So you said you obviously did uh, work for the 501st and uh, Rebel Legion. Is Luke like your favorite character by chance or do you just like, do you have like a resemblance to it or what? Uh, it's a, it's both. Um, Luke, growing up, I either wanted to be Luke or not thinking things through as a kid. You know, the Stormtrooper armor was was really cool. But then I'm like, oh, right. wait, Luke wears armor. So I can always be the good guy. In fact, the only time I've ever played a quote unquote bad guy uh, and Chris helped me with this was when we had to do promo outfits for um, oh, yeah. Star Wars Galaxies and they needed a bunch of us to go ahead and appear in different characters and so about 12 people were the armored Jedi and 12 of us were kind of this Sith acolyte armored uh, character but I always okay. well I was uh, rolling my dice towards the light so I was kind of hidden um, say to Chris's credit, literally, I think about 17 minutes before I had to leave to get on to uh, uh, set, uh, she finished it and it rocked. Um, and I still have sleeves were a bitch. Yeah, that, they were. I mean, she, no underestimation. Chris stayed up until at least 430 in the morning. And I had to be up at like 530 to start getting ready. Um, but but so all that has to say is, um, I, I'm not sure I look as much like Luke as other people think I look like Luke, which is say Mark Hamill, but um, I've been very blessed uh, and there is no other word for it. Uh, I do sometimes see what other people are seeing. I have actually been asked more than I 
care to admit how many times if I am Mark Hamill. That's um, a high praise. I mean, that's yeah. It, it's very I just think you embody him. There's a I don't want to say swagger because that's not like really the word that goes around Luke, but there's just there's something in the way you carry yourself. The presence when you're suited up, it's a presence that is very much it's Luke. I, I thank you for that. And it's funny, a friend of mine uh has said uh when I put on the suits, it's like what Chris is kind of alluding to, I walk different and I stand different. Yeah. So I make the joke, well, that's because of the boots. <laughs> um, but he's like, no, it's something else. Um, and um, the the one time that really made me realize how I was making it come to life that wasn't for children, because that's in many ways the, the most important. But the one time that it really came to life is I actually happened to be standing, and I think Chris was with me on, the, on this time. It was at Comic-Con, and we had been putting in a full day of work there. Um, and we were at a signing where Mark Hamill was, but the folks came up to me and asked, I'm sorry, are you Mark Hamill? And I'm like, no, that's right over there. So, you know, I, I've had some wonderful experiences like that. Um, it's very flattering. Um, I try to downplay it as much as possible because- This is uh, true, I can attest to this. You know, it, it's, it, it sometimes also kind of makes me nervous because I don't want to betray, you know, the image that people have of Luke. Right. Uh, but I do my best, and, um, and and Chris will attest to one thing: like a lot of in when you're in the costuming community, a lot of people like to do that scene from the original movie where the rebels are putting their hands over their head. Uh, I do not do that when I'm in character as Luke. I'm like that. There is no footage of Luke walking down with his hands behind his head, prisoner type thing. I'm like that is a hard rule. Uh, yeah, I don't think there ever was. Was there any? Yeah. No, no there isn't. So when people are like, "I'm sorry, that is not in character." Um, and I think it, it's, it stood me well because as I went higher and higher up in time in the 501st um, and the Rebel Legion, uh, in the 501st, uh, Alvin Johnson, who's the founder of the 501st, said, I am the 501st own Jedi Luke. So that's why I kind of split my, my time in both groups. Okay. But, um, you know, I, I started getting more and more permission from Lucasfilm. This is pre-Disney and everything. It's, it's a different ballgame now where where the person in charge of the time was like, you've got this, go ahead and figure it out. You know, I trust you to make the decision on whether or not to do these events. Um, in my background, I'm also an attorney in real life. So she, if, I, if I flipped something to her and I said, hey, I think there's a problem here, she'd be like, uh, yeah, let's take a look at this. So they knew that I was there to protect the brand and be a good ambassador. So it was very, very flattering, very humbling. Um, and I've, I've had some fun with it. You know, uh, there's no there's no two ways about it. Um, for G4, I'm always a stormtrooper because they don't do too many, you know, needs for face characters, as we call it. Right. But once in a while, something weird will happen. And one time they put me in a uh, Captain Kirk-ish. Oh, fit. gosh. I and when that. one of the producers looked at me and said, man, the Star Wars people are going to hate you. Because I actually looked like Captain Kirk because uh -oh. of the way I had the time. So, you know, I've had a lot of fun with, with it um, on both sides of it. Well... You sound like you've lived a very fulfilling Star Wars life. Um, we definitely want to have you on for like a just a full like profile episode of you, basically. Um, oh, thank you, thank you. So, because we with the stories that you have, uh, Chris and I both agree that you can probably fill out at least an hour, if not more, of. Oh yeah, there's a lot to life. chat about when it comes to costuming in the Star Wars community. Oh yes, um, and so and whatnot. This is our guest, Lawrence. Uh, we will uh, have him 
shout out his social media handles uh, later on towards the end of the episode, but he's going to be joining us for our discussion of uh, The Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 1. In my opinion, I think the best episode so far of the whole series, but we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, we're going to take another quick little break, and then we're going to do a deep dive into The Mandalorian. So stay tuned, guys. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. Are y'all ready to talk some Mando? Let's do this. I am ready. (laughs) So, first off, this episode was directed and written by Jon Favreau. And it's clear. Uh, Yes. Um, (laughs) I'm very happy that this season, uh, the reports on the episode uh, lengths are around between like 50 and 55 minutes instead of like the 35 to 48 minutes that we got in season one it was a very satisfying time length yes i it was like a basically a mini movie if it was if i could say that no it was Um, very well paced so okay chris how do you want to break this down do you want to go from like the very beginning do you want to talk about our favorite moments how do you want to do this um I think. Uh, so we decided to watch um, the closing episode we, the, from last season. We decided to watch last season's finale. Oh, and then going to season. One. Gotcha. And then going to. So um, I do feel like they, they bookended really well mm-hmm. because the season closer um, was very somber. Um, yeah. Know, we lost. Um, Khalil, we lost um, our IG, our, our nurse droid. It was um, it was pretty, it was pretty sad. We learned about um, uh, Kara's background, mm-hmm. being from Alderaan. So there were a lot of really dark moments. You know, we thought we were gonna, we, we thought the Mando was gonna die for a moment. Yep, it was a dark episode. And this episode, I mean, the fact that it was on Tatooine, it was literally very bright <laughs> happens when you, happens when you've got two sons i see but what you did there much, yeah you see what i did there uh it was just it was very it was very lively and this was absolutely to the core a space cowboy movie hello spaghetti western it. yes yes oh I absolutely timothy oliphant was a dream he was just uh, a revelation i, I love him bored. he's fantastic i love him too and he was so he just fit into this bizarre gunslinger star wars character mm-hmm. just so well it fit him like a glove it was perfect so before we hit the tattooing and the timothy oliphant stuff let's go back because we cannot uh, gloss over the fact that we saw two gamorian guards uh going at it in like a boxing arena how great was that? <laughs> it was the best. Um, it was. It was. Quick, I was just going to. I was just going to add to that. It, it gave the universe depth. Yes. That. It, it, for obviously a show that's about something that doesn't exist. I mean, it gives authenticity and mm-hmm. think of a better way 
to bring the love of Star Wars. I mean, we know it's by Favreau, but we it shows that it's by a fan as well. Mm-hmm. That kind of authenticity is what I think the fans crave and appreciate so much because we haven't seen the guards since Return of the Jedi, really. Correct. And they're 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 literally guards for Jabba, but they must exist. They must have other ones out there. It's not just the three that we see in the in the throne room, right? And, or the room. So to see that they're, you know, the wrestlers of that galaxy going at it, it was refreshing and it gave that authenticity for that world. Yeah, this episode, you know that someone did a lot of research because there's also a lot of like expanded universe things that happen Mm. in this episode uh, that you're like, oh, that wasn't canon before, but sure as shit is now. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, uh, And John uh, Leguizamo's character was also quite enjoyable to see i always enjoy seeing very, very heavily made up just very very alien type character yes. with a lot of speaking lines yeah he was fun uh and so the gorian guards let's talk about them real quick because uh when i was growing up when i would watch return of the jedi they were always like the funniest things to me for some reason because there were these <laughs> giant green pigs with axes and like a fur skirt and like gladiator sandals and it always made me tee Yeah. Well, they look, look like something out of a fantasy barbarian kind of yeah. world. They're ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but to see them, like, basically stripped of everything, and we get to see these vibro axes actually going at it, because we never saw that How in the cool was movies. That? It's yeah. like they basically hit each other, and then there's, a, like, a little force field, I guess, on the weapon itself. We never got to see that, so to see that actually happen was really cool, because a vibro axe, you're like, does it vibrate? What is a vibroax? What is that? I don't get it. Yeah. And, and to see you know that, what it reminded cool. me of? You know my favorite Star Wars game of all time, right? Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> the uh, the very obscure Master of the Tereskasai fighting game from the 90s on the PlayStation. You could be the Gamoran Guard. So you. Oh, could you really? I did not know that. My brother would off stick, yeah. It's just that it took me back there. It was fantastic. That's very funny. So that really is then, I think, uh, a pull for the fans of that game. And and again, that goes to a fan being the creator and the driving force behind this. Absolutely. And I think that's everything. I agree. Um, yeah, the whole fight scene was great. I love when he takes out the little whistling darts or whatever, and the baby's just like, peace, I'm gone. We don't... I don't need this. And then he yeah. just shuts yeah. himself in the thing. And the Mando just like kicks the pram. Just like. <laughs> I'm like, sir, the, the, I, I need, I need a pram like child. that. The thing's been through a lot. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I thought it was For me, great. The, there was the... also Zabrix in there too, if you didn't notice that. I didn't know if you guys saw that or not. But two of the people that he throws knives oh, at are um, Zabrix. Yeah. So cool little tidbit there too. All that, and then the what I'll call the reality of it. Just he is such a intelligent character, Din, that when the guard, the surviving guard, jumps out, he doesn't fight with it. He just steps aside and let the guard knock himself out on the bench as he hits the ground. And yep. to me, that is that fits the character perfectly. It's like I don't need to waste my effort with this guy. Yeah, exactly. Um, I also like so that he says that I'm not gets- going to kill you, but then he kills him basically. Yes, that. Well, but he didn't. He left him to die. 
but he's like, I'm, that's very, very fine line, but I guess I'll accept Ask it. Ask the lawyer about this. <laughs> yeah, he did say not by my own hands. Not by my own hands, exactly. And when he said that, I I thought to myself, well, that's going to be interesting. Exactly, and so I'm, I'm dying to know what those things were. Yeah, I don't know what they, I'm just going to say like rabid Jawas, I don't know. <laughs> rabid Jawas. Just Jawas with like rabies. I don't know. Well, it reminded me of that old Vin Diesel movie. Um, oh, really? Uh, Pitch Black. Yeah. Pitch Black. Oh, sure. sure. Yeah. It's like that moment. I don't know. That was creepy. I don't know what it's those like things were, but one of the movies that Vin Diesel actually acts in. Yes. And then, yeah. the, and then there was that weird Chronicles of Riddick that went. I don't know. That whole thing was crazy. Yeah. Anyway. Was, yeah. So, anyway. and then we find out Tatooine, which, again, Chris and I during our Mandalorian season two uh, rumors. We were like, a desert planet does not mean it's Tatooine. It would be great if it was Tatooine, but it doesn't mean it's Tatooine. And, well, fuck us, because it was Tatooine. <laughs> we always say this. We're like, just because it's a desert planet doesn't mean it's going to be Tatooine. And it always ends up being Tatooine. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's so, so funny is, you know, dur- during the prequel era, people were like, oh, my gosh, uh, is this such a small galaxy? Why do we keep going back to Tatooine? But now we're like, all right, we're going back to Tatooine. Let's see what it's bringing us. Well, I think it's, it's because I mean, it's, it's the, the core desert planet. Now. Well, it's the desert planet that doesn't like piss off fans as much, I don't think, because now fans are like super pissed if you mention Jakku because of right. from someone's the, from there, and it's just like, shut up. Yeah. Stop it. But yeah, it was very, it was very nice to see our, um, our little, what is, what's her name? Uh, Amy Stars. Mechanic uh, friend. Paley, Paley Mato. Yeah, yes. she's fantastic. I was glad to see her her role come about again. Um, I also the banter found they have that, together is very cute. Well, and she was or a Pelmato, lot funnier sorry. in this. She was a lot funnier in this episode than I thought in her original debut episode. Maybe it's because of Favreau's writing. I'm not quite sure, but she's like, you know, how much for him? No, I'm kidding. But really, how much for him? I'm like, that made me chuckle. That was very funny. My um, my her daughter was watching crew. it with me because this is like her favorite thing in the world. Uh, yep. And she mentioned, she, because she watches me play a lot of Skyrim and Fallout and things, she was like, this is like a quest in PC. Because she kind of went off onto this little spiel and it very much sounded like, I am now putting you on a quest. You're not wrong. Oh, it's 100%. And then when they bring up the map, it's literally, you're, you're on the global map where you're trying to find your waypoints and then you yep. got to set your destination. Yep. And I will say it's, it's really nice. It's not retcon, but it's nice fill in the blanks because we've heard about Mos Espa and everybody knows Mos Eisley. Yep. Now we have a new city because surely there has to be more than two cities on Tatooine. Yep. And the way she explained that it's sort of a, a rumor and it's gone now and haven't heard about it it all fits as to why maybe it wouldn't be in on the top of everybody's uh visit list in the original and prequel trilogies no need to talk about it because city's basically been blown off the face of the planet yeah um yeah it's what's moss Pe- paley Pe- what's it called again uh Pe- moss pelgo i think pelgo okay yeah for yeah. some reason, my mind went to placenta, and I'm like, that's not right, Ian. Don't say that. That's not. <laughs> Okie dokie. Mas placenta sure. on, on tattoo. <laughs> that's on the dark side of tattooing. Yeah, that's yeah, like a bad guy, actually. <laughs> Did we just create a new bad guy? Oh my god, wait a yes. minute. Um, let's just, we need I don't to know what this. it looks like. Yeah, no. 
um yeah it was nice to see it not take place in a city that we knew it was a yeah no place more world of building yes what we're here for the world building. uh because honestly like besides moss espa and moss isley i'm like there's a lot of sand and i don't know anything else really about the planet but that's you know it <laughs> well it's nice to see you know kind of um circling back to when we were talking about the video games that we'd like to see it's nice to see everyday sort of people mm-hmm. coming into the star wars universe and you know seeing that the miners and, and how people just go about their everyday life in this galaxy and how yeah. they make a living i think that's 100 percent because you know we know uh uncle owen and aunt beru as luke's caretakers but they were farmers you know they yeah. had a to-do list every day and whatever so that story has closed out but what about the other people who just lived on the planet and tried to make their lives there you know and and, well i didn't really think that because you know obviously you know about moisturing moisture farming because that's the big commodity at tatooine but i didn't even think about mining because they have a bunch of mountains there but i didn't even think about mining as a job on tatooine well see i figured that the moisture farmers were actually only there to sustain the fact that people had to live there to be using some other kind of commodity, some natural right. resource, because you're not going to live on a planet that you couldn't live on unless you, you know, have to use all this technology to get water, right. unless there's another reason to be there in the first place. Which makes sense. And also, funny enough, my um, co-worker and I were talking and he said, what if Tatooine wasn't always Tatooine? What if it was actually lush and green and people just destroyed the planet and they had to leave and then it got re-inhabited by you know tuscan raiders and then eventually the other inhabitants and it was a, du- a desert planet i'm like that's a cool backstory if that ever does happen because that's interesting yeah you know there's still well, moisture we know in the there tuscan raiders so. from have been there well, for from thousands episode, of years yes thousands of years yeah and i find that interesting too because i've always wondered if they were in fact um native i guess you'd say native to the planet yeah. Some some years ago, I did read something. I, I don't know if it's canon, but I think the Tuscans and the Jawas are native, and they just grew up as two dominant uh, bipeds over over like whatever the natural habitat or I mean natural um, animal um, background is there, which would be mm-hmm. like dragons and that type of thing. But um, but now that does leave open up the option to say, no, there could have been something before that if the reference is just for a couple thousand years. Yeah. yeah. Well, and we had asked, we had talked about the Jawas, where they originate from on last season's episodes when um, they the encountered the Jawas. episode, yeah. Yeah, and a, on a completely different planet. So I'm wondering, two. you know, like they don't, they're not spacefaring as far as we know. So how do they get to these other planets? Where did they originate? I'd like that's, to know. I mean, Jawas aren't hugely important. Disney Plus series, the Jawa. Yeah, the exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, you know, he's tasked to go out and, uh, you know, find this other Mandalorian, and of course, we're all thinking who it's going to be. Like, it's not. We're yeah. not. We're, we're. There's no question in our mind who the hell is going to be on Tatooine. Right. Um. So you know, he gets to the bar and questions about the marshal and. Sure enough, we see this man in Boba Fett's armor. Which was, I loved, I loved that silhouette and the fact that it fits him so poorly. Yeah. Right? Like the that chest piece, just... it doesn't cover like any of his chest hardly. It's like... That was great. And you know, it actually reminds me, funny enough, Lawrence, you might remember this, that random pilot episode that we filmed, 
there were so this ha- this pilot episode also took place after Return of the Jedi, so it would have been kind of like concurrent with the Mandalorian okay. time wise. Um, and there were random mercenaries who wore stormtrooper armor, but it didn't fit them well. Right, so it looked right. just like that, and it uh, totally reminded. That's funny. Me. Yeah, and I think the the again the attention to detail that Favreau put into it. So it's the Boba Fett armor. We recognize it. Um, but you know, his under tunic colors aren't right. And his walk is more, I don't know how to say it. It's Timothy Oliphant, you know, it's truly a law enforcement type walk. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not the Boba Fett walk. Yeah. And we didn't get the spurs per se. Yeah, you know, I was looking we, for those. We were hinted at the spurs uh, in the first season. Um, yes. In episode five. But but we didn't get the spurs on this one, so you knew it wasn't quite right. And then the fact that he just takes off the helmet without even a, a moment's pause after we spend so much time learning that Mandos don't take their helmet off, so it was like, well, this is going to be a great reveal. And it yeah. really, I can only imagine Mando's face when that happens. I was like, oh, he's not going to like this. Yeah, because you even see when he takes off the helmet, he's like walking towards him, and he walks back. He's like, excuse me, yeah, yeah. Wh- what? And it's but now, Timothy Oliphant's beautiful face. Oh yes, but we, but we also know as the as the audience, obviously, Mando doesn't know this, um, that Boba Fett and Django weren't really Mandalorians anyway. They took their mask True. off all the freaking time. Yep. True. And I mean, he does not. And so does you know Bo Katan, and so does Sabine. So it's like, yeah, I'm well, still very confused on. I'm who. still very very confused about what is canon and what the Mandalorians actually are. And I agree. Yeah, I feel um, like. I feel like the Mandalorians are also very confused about what they are. That's fair. Um, but let's talk about the armor real quick because clearly it's been through some stuff. It's not still like the green that we know. It still has the hints of it, but there's a bunch of bite marks in there. There's scratches. There's all kinds of stuff that's not necessarily from blaster wear. It's maybe from being eaten by something. From being so digested. Yes. So when you saw that armor for the first time, did you automatically think, oh, Boba must be alive? Or did you think that, you know, they got the armor some other way? I think in the context of the reveal, because you have a new character wearing it and because it looks so beat up, um, I told myself, well, maybe they're saying, maybe maybe the press for the last couple of months was kind of a faint. And so they're not going to reveal that Boba Fett is still alive. And it's just that his armor for lack of a better phrase and his legend is still alive. First, I was thinking this guy was doing the legend of Boba Fett mm-hmm. um, and he was going to uh, marshal that for lack of a better phrase to his advantage to lay law and order down right. I'm very happy with how they took it on its own angle where he really is just uh, a lone gunman trying to do the right thing yeah. um, but I, I have to say I, I started to wonder if they were going to go ahead and do a switch room and be like, no, you know what? It really isn't Boba Fett. Uh, we were just kind of teasing that along, but his armor will be part of the show. That's how I kind of thought was, of it too. So yeah, I, I kind of had a moment um, where I did, I ran the logistics in my head about how the Jawas could have gotten it because I mean, we know the Sarlacc isn't going anywhere. You know, it's the pit of carcoon for a reason. Like it's a yeah. place you go to, it doesn't mm. move. So where would the Jawas just randomly come upon this armor if it hadn't been removed from the pit somehow? And I don't think that the Jawas are just, you know, sticking their long arms down in, <laughs> in the Sarlacc mouth. For, let's let's see what we can grab I mean, out. Hmm. I just don't think that's happening. No. So uh, for me, it was like, well, the armor got out somehow. 
and I'm going to assume that it either blasted its way out or it walked out, you know, of its own accord. However, I kind of assume that. How did he lose it? Maybe it got upchucked or something. I don't know. Maybe it just got thrown up because you know, armor is maybe hard to to digest. I don't know. Sure. Um, yeah. But so yeah, Timothy Oliphant in this was fantastic. I loved him. He was very funny too. It was very oh, yeah. good comedic timing. Yes. I liked, I was worried that they were going to pull, uh, we want you to like this swaggery character, but he's definitely going to be a bad guy in the end. I'm glad that they kept him as a genuine. Oh, like character. with the previous bounty hunter that everyone thought was a douchebag and no one liked. Exactly. Oh, that's yeah. stupid douche bro. Oh. Yeah. You're glad he's dead. Yeah. So glad he's dead. <laughs> um. So we get a great shot of whatever this creature is that's underground it's a trimmer called Kevin Bacon. That's um, what I said. <laughs> <laughs> and this is our first time in canon seeing a crate dragon. Yes. How fantastic is that? Because this like, is a creature we have heard so much talked about. Well, we have the big skeleton. A live That's one, it. rather. Right. Um, but even from the skeleton, I mean, I would have never guessed the actual size of this thing. Oh, yeah. No, never. Um, and it's this huge, you know, I guess it's more of like a slug or a worm rather, rather, rather than a dragon that we know with wings and legs and all that stuff. It kind of remi- it, it reminded me though, I mean, facially wise of the Game of Thrones dragons. Because of the horns and stuff, I assume? Yeah. And it, well, and like the, that one dragon that Harry Potter ends up fighting. Oh, the in the Triwizard Tournament, something, the something from Hungarian the somewhere, something or something, yeah, hunchback, you know, something, the very yeah, spiky-looking, evil, mean ones, so, yeah, yes, that's cool. Um, it's definitely red dragon to me. I agree. It's definitely you red dragon. I will say, I was getting a little nervous. We we're going to go full Dune worm here, and I'm like, don't, don't, don't do that. Uh, yeah, right. I was worried about I'm it. not a huge Dune fan. I know, boo, but uh, yeah, that's just me. <laughs> Um, but uh, the way they, they handled it, I thought was fantastic. And I, and I agree with Chris. There was definitely that armored dragon, Drogon type omni, omnipresence yeah. vibe to it. Yes. Um, so they, they go off and they take off after this, uh, this creature because Mando says, well, I know how to you know, track it down basically. And Mando is in his speeder bike, which by the way, I love the practicality of his speeder because the shots of him going through the streets or the, the street quote unquote of the town they don't show the full thing because you know it's like on a rig basically and they're just pulling it along uh so to see that happening is really cool because that's like old school 70s you know effects because they did that with like luke's land speeder and stuff like that too yeah absolutely um but coming up behind him is timothy oliphant and a fucking pod racer engine <laughs> that was awesome Basically saying, hey, mine's bigger. I love I love that whole, I see your Schwartz is as big as mine, but actually mine's bigger kind of moment. Yes, it was very funny. And everyone's freaking out because, oh my God, it's Anakin's pod. Look closer because it's very similar to Anakin's pod, but the markings aren't there. The blue isn't there. And there's a red thing on the pod that Anakin did not have. Yeah, I wasn't sure because you said that and I thought maybe it was too but I wasn't hundred percent sure. Like that, it's so very, very close. Very it's honest. very close, but it has been, you know, four decades in, in Star Wars time. Um, also true. Since won the Bunta. So it is possible, you know, it could be his pod yeah. 
repurposed. Exactly. I definitely think it's a visual Easter egg that they can oh, explore for sure. Depending on how they want to go in and do it. Because I could see that 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 core nacelle, you know, from one side of it was preserved or sold off, you know, once he left the planet, that was it. And repainted, uh, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was yeah, repurposed okay. and you know, because it was a hot rod. It well, did make the same a, noise, so that's what makes yeah. me think maybe it is, but yeah. It's an outer rim desert planet. You know that they're reusing things. They're, you know, they don't have a ton of stuff. Exactly. Absolutely. So it makes sense. And it, it really is a great callback for the prequel fans. Yes. And it's just, it still is very funny how, you know, Mando's just zooming along and then just like long oblong object is just, just coming up behind him. But it, was, it, but was it so... totally fits that character. Well, oh, it does. You and know, because Cobb is a badass. To it. Yes. It's the yeah, funniest yeah. thing. Like, let me attach my sidecar to a pod racer engine and let me just zoom on down. It, you know, yeah. and he, he's letting him know that he's only keeping it at quarter speed. So, yeah. you know, he's taking it easy on him. Exactly. Uh, I thought that was one of the greatest things of the episode because that's very funny. And by the way, can we just talk about the fact that most, if not all of this, is shot on that soundstage? Yes. That's pretty crazy. Because it's down here in LA near Manhattan Beach, and it is phenomenal what they're able to do in that combined area. It looks I mean, like it, they went to Tunisia and shot there. Like it's okay. So absolutely. that's what I was wondering. We were discussing this while watching the episode. If they had gone back, because my that would be my thought. Like obviously, you can't go to you can't go to Tatooine and not go to Tunisia. But I guess I guess no. Can. It's it was all basically shot on a soundstage, maybe except for. I think maybe the arena stuff in the very beginning, maybe that was an actual practical set they built, but everything else, and like the bar obviously is a practical set, set for the most part and everything, but most everything else is all soundstage work with That's various incredible. like rocks and stuff painted in and then sand, I assume, on the floor for texture and stuff like that. Yeah. Sure, sure. That's incredible. Wow, I didn't but, know that. But it. yeah, it's, I mean, I'm just like, what like like I said, it has that cinematic quality, and that's because of what's happening with uh, uh, at Lucasfilm and with that soundstage and everything. Um, so they get to where they're going, and turns out that the Mando is enlisting the help of the Tuscan Raiders. Yay! We can see more Tuscan. We can see more of their culture too. More of their. I love um, that we've humanized them. Yeah, uh, after we get to see Anakin asshole. slaughter them. Yeah, really seriously. Obviously, this just builds the case against Anakin. Yeah, it doesn't help him at but all. So I, 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 I had a laugh because for years, uh, a lot of members of the 501st, uh, so the Tuscans are an outfit that is on the 501st side because for they've been wrongly made out to be just pure villains. Yeah, right. Um, and so, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the fans or members have Tuscan outfits and I'm like, they've finally been redeemed because I couldn't understand the allure to... To, uh, they're very complicated, very advanced outfits and uh, incredibly claustrophobic and hot. And I just couldn't understand yes. the lure to have 20, 30, well, now they've been vindicated. So I'm like, okay, I get it, absolutely. But these are now fully realized uh, people, you know, there's a population, there's communication, there's structure, there's integrity. Um, and to, to the producer's credit, I, I try not to go ahead and, and read too much backstory um, so I can come into and fresh. But one of the actors who plays a Tuscan is actually uh, hearing impaired, and he was the that one up. Yep. developed so their language. Because one of the hearing actors was saying, "You know, to do this right, we, we should go ahead and get a hearing impaired actor to give depth to what how we're communicating." So credit to the production team on that. 
absolutely fantastic I agree. that they That's, did that. Not only that, but also, you know, Chris and I always say this, that representation matters. Absolutely. And this is a huge monumental thing to be represented, not only for the deaf community, but to be represented in Star Wars. Absolutely. Like, that's huge. I mean, to be represented, like I said, in general is great, but in a, something that's watched by millions of people and loved by millions of people, that's super just great. Um, and I love that, you know, the Mandalorian is saying, you know, they were here thousands of years before. They've studied these creatures. They, you know, know their eating habits or they know their sleeping habits, whatever it may be. And, you know, just let's trust them and let's see what they have to say. And I, I thought it was fantastic it was stealth commentary about, you know, giving credit to indigenous peoples who really know the land. And yes. it's yes. not always about the technology. It's about communicating and, and taking the best approach and, and maybe a uh an expert who's local to the area might just be able to share something that you know an outsider may not know exactly and it's a you know it's a great life lesson to learn too so mm -hmm. well and i hope just, you know from an in-universe in perspective i, I kind of hope that this opens up relations between between the miners and you know off original off-worlders who are now working Mm. on Tatooine um, and living on Tatooine too, to really actually come together and, and vibe with the Tusken Raiders and, you know, have an alliance and realize they're vibing they're, and chilling with the Tusken Raiders. They can vibe and chill, <laughs> but that they're beneficial to each other and there's no reason to, to be, you know, having all this animosity and just against each other constantly and be, I don't know. Well, I think you're right there. I, I, I even I like agree. one of the hidden pens at the beginning, or not the beginning, but when they first meet, you know, Timothy Oliphant, he doesn't want to have the water that comes out of that sort of Gore black thing. smoke. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, fruit thing. But then at the end, when they're facing the Cray Dragon and it's all other, he just cracks open and he takes a drink and he's like, oh, we're all in on what this. What we do. Yep. And, you know, it's such a, that's such a realistic thing. I mean, even, um, so my, my background is anthropology um, and I've, worked in the field in many different countries and sharing a drink is such a universal mm. cultural thing to 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 bond um for new people and to to reject a drink that has been offered to you and, it, and it's happened to me it is not cool in, in any culture no -no. it is it's incredibly offensive and, and you know i've seen i've seen students do it i've seen students who thought they were better you know are just being disgusted and you know guess who wasn't getting their research done yeah. yeah. Just yeah. take the damn drink. Yeah. Um, I I really did like that scene where the Tuscan like got like and rightfully so he got pissed off. He's like, look, we're trying to you know broker peace here. The least you could do is drink out of my black gourd. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the least you I was could think, do, sir. I was thinking, see, I was thinking it was going a different direction and they were all gonna get high. Oh, the I took fumes the that were coming off that thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's yes, what I thought. Yes. I was like, ooh, they're tripping on some Tatooine peyote. This is gonna be right? good. All of a sudden, you see like that's a, that's a snorting yep. sound in the background. You're like, oh no! Exactly. No, that's absolutely where I thought that was going. The Mando gets a although I could out. see a, a definite need to get wound up if you're going up against a crate dragon. So sure, that sure, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And then towards the end, they all grow out like a Carrie Fisher Coke nail, and then they can just you know, oh Jesus, <laughs> get it all good. Um. So also, can we talk about the fact that they had uh, Banthas in this episode? Yes. Yes, a lot. I and they always Bambas. march single file. They're yep. so cute. Yeah, it's amazing that the detail, like, you know, and another director could have been like, okay, we're going to put a bantha here and left, right, left, right. It's like, no, no, they go single file. That is, no, no. 
to cover their trails. They got to hide their numbers. Come on, guys. Yeah. Yeah. And again, the authenticity, it makes it just feel that much more grounded in the universe. And it's those kind of subtle callbacks to, I I know that George Lucas once was asked about, well, how come the whole thing with Ben versus Obi-Wan? And he, he very famously said continuities for wimps, which he can say that, but the rest of us, we need that continuity. We need our continuity. Yeah. Yeah. walk single file. We need to have the Tuscans putting the gappy stick over its head and and doing the the roar mm-hmm. that's kind of and all that. Um, that's what makes Star Wars come alive. Yeah, and I I mean I loved the callback to Obi Wan Kenobi originally using the crate dragon yell yes to scare away the Tuscan Raiders. So we know the absolute worst thing that a Tuscan Raider can encounter is a crate dragon. They are yep. terrified of it, and that is what will make them run away. Yep. It's it's a smart it's a smart decision to keep that in there and it makes it makes so much sense now for episode four and everything. Um, so originally the the banthas were um, in episode four they were elephants and covered in that fur and the horns and everything. These banthas looked smaller than what the original ones were in episode four, obviously. So I'm gonna guess that it was maybe a horse of some kind. Maybe that small. I don't, they weren't as big as the other Banthas like in episode four because the Banthas and they were elephant size. I don't Maybe oh. they're practical, just complete builds. Oh. I don't know. Yeah, I, I was thinking maybe. probably just a, a uh, artificial a thing and then they was just kind of CG'd in like the way Daenerys would be on the dragon. You know, she's yeah. on a oh, saddle. Yeah. Well, that was I mean, pure the, CGI. That was fantastic her. CGI. The 501st built a Bantha. There was a, there was a whole big project, the Bantha project. Mm. I don't know, like a decade ago. I can't so, remember. I mean, it, it can be done. Yeah. But, right. And 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 I suppose they could have brought in one elephant and just modified it. But yeah. Uh, I, to me, I, I will. I'll agree with Chris. They looked larger than a horse, but now I see where you're coming from. Maybe smaller than an elephant. So I'm going to say that they might have just been something done on set with you know various contraptions. Well, well that again, was all well they were on a soundstage. Yeah. Now that I know yeah. that they're on a soundstage, they weren't out in the, you know, in the wild. Wild. <laughs> so it would probably be harder to have a bunch of elephants on a soundstage. I agree. In um, costume. But so, yeah, they get to like this open mouth where they said there was a, a, a sarlacc there and the crate. We know the sarlacc eats everything, but we don't know what eats the sarlacc until today. Uh, that reminded and... me of the uh, Phantom Menace bit from Naboo. The big fish. There's always oh, a bigger fish. Yes. There's always, always a bigger fish. fish. <laughs> um, but see, this was another great callback because I, yeah. t- until until this episode, I thought, okay, there's only one sarlacc. It's at the pit of Carcoon. Uh, yeah, nope. me too. Sarlacc is just another wild animal out there, part of part of the fauna, I guess. And uh, and then they die off too. And then crate dragons are kind of like, you know, crabs looking for a new home, and they just take over the pit or something like that. Yeah. And you can Basically. have. So maybe the sarlaccs are more a rare species. Maybe they live a really long time. So maybe, you know, that's why this particular one is infamous for where it is. Mm. Maybe they have a large territory swaths, so there's only a handful of them. Well, yeah, because Um, it says that digestion is over thousands of years. So yeah, they got to live for So they are around for a long time. (laughs) Yeah. So there's probably only, you know, like a dozen of them on the planet. Who knows? Right. Um, But then we get to see... Uh, in full the crate dragon and when it comes out of that uh cave 
like the way the sand's coming off of it, the way that it picked up the the Tuscan Raider. I'm like, this is all like, see, this is beautiful. Mm. I loved it. It was fantastic. It was very cool looking. It was very cool looking. I was very surprised. I honestly did not expect it to be that big. Just the sheer enormity of it was daunting. It did feel like there was actual danger. It was very enjoyable. The dragon had weight, for lack of a better phrase, and agree mm-hmm. what you said, you know, at the very beginning that it, the whole episode felt like a movie, and that was absolutely, you know, tier one movie level LFL effects. Oh, for sure. ILM. I mean, they they made that seem as realistic as anything could that you would watch on on a big screen, you know, debut cinema type experience. Yeah. It wasn't. Oh, yeah. It wasn't like there were a few episodes of last season where I, I was, I kind of felt like, all right, we're going on a side quest. You know, yeah. this felt like a whole thing on its own, not just a random side quest because we need to fill in an episode and make it interesting. No, this felt very thought out, very methodical. It did because even the, the disruptor bolts, you know, uh, uh, or rather the disintegration bolts, the, the famous uh, disintegration rifle had no effect on it because it's such a huge animal. Exactly. That makes sense. They had to use strategy. They couldn't just brute force it. Yes. Um, and I like also where he goes back to the town saying, hey, we found a solution. We can we can do this. We can, you know, defeat this, but you know, that we're going to have to have help with the Tuscans and the whole town just goes ape shit. They're like, no, right. we don't want their help. They're, you know, savages and everything. Uh, and he it says, was very much the uh, Western xenophobic yes. Texan town in the Wild West kind of thing. And he says a line that kind of stayed with me was that, you know, they said that if you help them kill this uh, creature and they get the basically goods from this creature, that they will broker peace with your town and they will not raise a blaster to you until you do it first. Yes. That's Very the good line. one until you do it first. That was really stuck with me because I'm like, yeah, because they're all like idiots. And of course, they're going to fire on them first after this thing. It's not going to, it wouldn't be the Tuscan Raiders. Yeah. No. And I think they did the hidden pen there and the foreshadowing, you know, because when the one uh, explosive was dropped, the one guy completely has a disproportionate reaction. Yeah. And then Mithy Oliphant, who not more than 20 minutes earlier was skeptical, is like, okay, just relax, you know, it was an accident, we're all in this together. Sometimes you got to go ahead and see what the greater good is. Exactly. And, and I will, I agree with you, it, it had perfect shades of some Kurosawa and some classic Ford Westerns where, you know, the two sides have to come together because there is a greater threat here. Yes. Uh, and so they do come together, they plant the explosives that they have, which by the way, that town has a shit ton of like explosives just like laying about, yeah. which is very funny. Yeah. I'm like, for tiny little town, that's a little, little disconcerting. It's like two or three banthas full of, of explosives, which I mean right. they're well, miners, so I get mining. it. But yeah, yeah. Well, then now they're probably not going to be able to get their job done for a while. <laughs> well, look. Um, so you know they have a whole plan. I love the Tuscan Raiders. They're like, uh, they're not crossbows, but I don't know what they're called technically. Um, yeah, long rifles? Yes. No, no, the ones that like shoot the arrows. The, the dragon slayer bolts. <laughs> yes. Um, I don't oh, know if I technically call them uh, crossbows or not. They were like giant crossbows. Is it a ballista? Ballistas, yes. Yes. 
I love seeing that. That was fantastic to see not only Tuscans that have, you know, rifles in their gaffy sticks, but they have these projectile weapons that can, you know, harp harpoon something. Yeah. Well, it was fantastic, not. although because the Game of Thrones is still in my head, I was like, well, oh. we know how this is going to go. Exactly. I know. Yeah. It's like, really? Are we going to shoot down Drogon again? Exactly. Uh, so it turns out that their plan doesn't really go off without a hitch. It doesn't really work for the naturally. first part. Naturally, of course. Um, and so uh, Mando and um, what's Timothy Olyphant's character's name again? Cobb uh, Vance, I think. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so Mando and Cobb, they, you know, fly up to go and shoot the creature. And I don't know why it gave me chills, but as soon as I heard Boba's jetpack, like the sound, that mm -hmm. classic sound. Wasn't that cool? Yeah. I was like, Ugh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was great. Um, and also, I love the Easter egg that Mando says, protect the kid. And he goes, what do you mean? And he hits the same side that Han hits. Yes. And launches him up. That's true. I missed that. I Clearly, missed that connection. Dang. Boba's uh, jetpack was faulty to begin with, but damn. Needs to get, what happens when you're get, not a real Mandalorian? <laughs> needs to get that shit looked at. Well, uh, and you don't have an armor to go back to. Now we know. That's also true. Now we know what happens. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was a great, great callback to Return of the Jedi, because I'm like, is he, he hit, and like, when I, I rewatched that scene from Jedi, I'm like, and that's the same spot that he hit, too. Yeah, it was doing fantastic. Your homework. And I will go ahead and say, as kind of filling in the blanks, because I think Favreau, you know, again, as the fan that we all are working on it, the, living the dream, we finally get to see the rangefinder in a live action show, not one of the animals. Yes, I know. Yes. Finder work, dial in, and then have his own Tony Stark against the tank moment where he yes. just fires it, it's yep. off in the distance, and then wham. That was yeah, totally that was great. a Tony Stark moment. It was very, very Iron Man esque. That's a, that's a good yeah. comment. That's a good comparison. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was great to see that because you never really see that happen with Boba. You only see it go down. And you're just like, oh, what the hell is he looking at? I don't know. <laughs> exactly. I think you see it maybe like once in the Clone Wars, but it kind of just like passes you by. Uh, I think Rex does it or something, or Cody, maybe. I don't know. But um, yeah, so eventually they blow up the dragon after many, many tries uh and they're like harvesting the meat and i remembered in the eu that the crate dragon were very valuable because they had pearls inside of them hmm. i was wondering and where that came from it was an eu thing from way back when and sure enough the tuscan raider pulls out this giant ass pearl like the fucking jawas wanted that goddamn egg and yep. it's like look they, yeah they that's like what my husband said he was like oh are we back like to the egg thing it. yeah he simpas it and is like we have the pearl <laughs> interesting i was wondering what was up with the egg or the uh the pearl it's see a, now i thought it was an yeah. egg also i no, i did pearl, think it was yeah. a pearl but i was wondering but i call it to me in my mind it brought me back to the egg from the second episode yes and that was like all right where are we going with this but i don't know i'm like if they crack the thing open and start eating it i'm gonna be real pissed oh gross <laughs> No, I think you're right. That's got to be the treasure. I didn't. I didn't think about the EU connection. That's got to be the treasure that they really wanted. And they, and the rest of the the group was very happy for. You know, we got the. Ar, ar, ar. So I mean, yeah. it was their their uh, capstone for the. I do want to know though. Like, do they trade that for current? Like, how do they? I wonder what they do with that. If they worship it or something or what? Oh, yeah, it's interesting. As hmm. like a big necklace. I don't know. 
I don't know. It's very, it was very interesting. I, I, I would like to know more because I, it was such a quick moment, but I was yes. thinking about it after. I had no idea it had a connection. And then, of course, we can't end this episode without talking about two things. One, of course, the return of Baby Yoda. Yes. Because uh, he had some really cute moments in this. Um, I like when they put, like, the meat on the back of the speeder. He's just, like, starting to pick at it. And <laughs> Mando's like, no. <laughs> we no. We cook first. Uh, and he had some really cute, you know, he was, like, in a saddle and everything. And um I did like yelp the screen at one point because I think what is it both of them left the baby just like by himself at one point I know he's yeah. very cavalier with this thing yeah just, he just like really leaves as them. a parent it makes me very nervous <laughs> and the baby's just like sitting in the satchel I'm just like wait oh wait <laughs> who who is watching baby I also have one of those bags and I'm pretty stoked that now i know i can make one and carry my little doll around there you go and so for you know i come at it a little bit different i i i i enjoyed the fact this is gonna sound weird i enjoyed the fact that for the premiere of this season baby yoda wasn't the fixture that the whole episode revolved around i thought that it was not the focal gave, point i agree yeah exactly it, it gave it some depth because if we're always doing a baby episode a, a baby yoda episode and i do love baby yoda then I'm wondering if we, you know, do too much Baby Yoda. But by doing it this way, I just felt like, oh, you know, you hit the tone just perfectly. And I, and yet, at when the big battle was going on, part of me was going, all right, they keep coming back to Baby Yoda. Are we going to have a little force, uh, you know, impact on yeah. the battle? Do the hand things. Do the hand thing. <laughs> yeah, do the hand thing. Exactly. But we didn't go there. And so I was like, no, no, you, you hit it just right. Just to, because we'll get a lot of Baby Yoda for the remaining episodes. But this oh, yes. is a, yeah. say, this is the journey. This is the path. Yeah. Well, it was nice that it, it's about him ultimately because they wouldn't right. be there if it wasn't, they weren't searching mm -hmm. for his people. But it wasn't about him. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, so Timothy Oliphant gives him back the armor and says, you know, just make sure you tell your people that I did not fuck this up. This, was, this already came to me like this. I was I was kind of surprised that he ended up making him give it back still because I almost felt like now that he's seen that he's a good person, that he's literally there to protect these people, to help them, that he would leave the armor with him so that right, he could but, better protect I mean, these people. I assume that he's going to maybe modify it himself or he'll take it to maybe the armor when we see her again and be like, hey, what's this? Oh, see, that'd be interesting because maybe she has, maybe she has the four one insight. Yeah, Dango and Boba. So, well, I think now that Boba yeah. knows his armor is back in the wild, because obviously Boba's a, a, alive and has been. Yes. He knows he's had the armor all this time, so he—that's how I'm reading it. So he's been passively allowing it to serve a purpose. I think Boba is, for lack of a better phrase, reformed, but he's still Boba. So I'm curious to see where this goes. I think eventually we will get the payoff, which we've all wanted for years, where maybe not for a couple episodes, maybe not until next season, but somehow I have a feeling that Boba Fett will live and fly again in totality. You know, he'll put the armor back on. So let's talk about that for a second. So the episode ends, of course, with a mysterious bald figure looking at the Mando, taking, you know, going away, and turns around, and sure enough, it is Tamara Morrison, minus the eyebrows, why does mm. the eyebrows? He turned well, to a drag, acid, he turned acid to a in a stomach will do that. The eye, and the, he yeah. shaved the eyebrows. I uh, yelled at my screen. Oh, I did too. Um, 
I yelled holy shit and I had to apologize because there were children present. <laughs> I did that as well, but I did not apologize because there's no children around me. <laughs> um, so when this happened, I was like, oh my fucking God. Like this is, so since Return of the Jedi, he has technically been dead this whole time because when mm. Disney bought it, when Disney, you know, purchased it, they retconned all the EU and the EU, he came back in the comics and whatnot. But when with Disney purchasing uh, Star Wars, they Boba Fett was still dead for this whole time no matter right. how many of the fans you know crying and whining about it he was still dead you know this past Friday solidifies that Boba Fett is alive and that is now canon and yeah. you know a bunch of fanboys when they saw that they just got like just like the biggest hard-on for Boba Fett and just was going nuts <laughs> well and I think it was a fantastic Which I still don't get but whatever well, and I think it's a reveal that, and, and you know, who's to say that Cobb's backstory on how he got the armor is true? We might be having a touch of the Joker here, spinning a different story depending on who his audience is. That's a good right? point. But, um, uh, it, and like I said, I, I just have this feeling that, that Boba Fett knows where the armor has been, because if, if he's the marshal of the town, that word kind of gets out and didn't seem that Boba Fett was too far away from the town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think also Boba Fett, they're trying to show that it's not the, it's not the person we, we've grown up with, for lack of a better phrase, because, you know, it's true he's not a full Mando. He is, however, the only natural slash perfect clone of his father. Um, he has a different perspective. Um, but he's carrying a gaffy stick and a long rifle. He, unless I missed it, he does not have his EE3, and the marshal doesn't have it, so he's not the same guy. I didn't yeah. see it. It could. He also was wearing a poncho, so it could be under there. I'm not quite sure. True. True. Um, but so my theory on this whole thing is that yes, he's alive. So does this mean that he will be trying to track down his armor now? So he will be kind of a shadow on the Mandalorian this whole entire season and we'll get a bigger reveal towards the season finale or mm. uh, season three because you don't bring back a character like this and then just not show him the rest of the season. You just don't do that. Agreed. So he has to be somewhere else in the season. So I'm thinking he kind of just is a shadow and just kind of follows him from, you know, location to location until finally he's like, give me that back. Yeah. Well, so I yeah. was wondering, I was thinking... Did he know about the marshal? Has he been keeping tabs on that? Or has he been ca- keeping tabs on other things? Like, does he, you know, if nobody knows who he is, he can easily travel in and out of the various mosses. You know, mm-hmm. I'm sure he's got, maybe he's got some feelers out in Moss Eisley. And here comes Mando and he's asking about other Mandalorians. And that's a key word that maybe he's had people in his network. Yeah. Have as a tip off and be like, you know, it's a Google alert. It's a Google alert. If somebody's asking about Mandalorians, I want to know. Yeah. Well, and he may have he may be doing the Clint Eastwood, you know, lone gunman who goes from town to town to help people. The marshal's there permanently, but he may yeah. be going from town to town. But let's face it, Boa Fett's out of a job. His employer, Jabba the Hutt, died five years earlier. His mark, Han Solo, is now a rebel general and hero of the rebellion, and mm-hmm. his best bud. Jedi who kind of screwed things up for Boba Fett, you know, early on. So, um, and he doesn't have the Empire to employ him. He doesn't have the Empire, so he might just be like, you know what, that 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 career path's not working out too well. So he may just be doing the man with no name approach, which would fit in, I think, with the Western theme. Um, mm-hmm. And also, I 
pro, you know, big fan, is the right age for that kind of homage. And it just kind of fits because I, I come back again, we had the Spurs in season one and only Boba wears the Spurs and the way he walks, it's just menacing. And yet mm-hmm. a statement all at once of like, I'm in control, let me assess this. And uh, well, and so Chris and I are talking in the our Mandalorian season two rumor that Lucasfilm never confirmed Tamara Morrison, that we never saw him in any trailer. So we we mm. told ourselves that we're not believing this until we see it on screen. Same thing right. goes with Ahsoka, same thing goes with Bo-Katan, same thing with Sabine if she's in this, all this stuff. So when we saw Tamara Morrison as Boba Fett on the screen, we're both like, well, fuck, are these other rumors actually going to be true? I think it's a great point. And, and he's... The story arc for Boba can go anywhere, and I think that's what's so beautiful. And it will go ahead and, I I believe, interact with Din and the Baby Yoda effects, uh, or rather, the Baby Yoda arc, and will affect us all as we go forward. Because you know, Boba Fett was very smart, and he fought against the, um, well, I guess he he fought against the nascent rebellion. So he knows about Yoda. I mean, th- there are a lot of moving parts here when you go oh, yes. and bring in the as well i have a question um, for you two yes would you want to see boba continue on the path the person personality path they they laid out for him in the original series in the prequels or do you want to see a redeemed boba fit um so i want to see him actually do something because here's the thing <laughs> he hasn't done jack shit like people I mean, oh, he he's cool much. he hasn't done much he's he a has, bad guy he is and he's he got the phas- he's basically you know the phasma before phasma he didn't he really get to do a whole lot yeah. and i would love to see him actually do something i mean i still don't get how people just like absolutely fawn and love over this character when he doesn't do anything because he's cool like, looking He's and that's that's the only reason basically, and so I would like to actually see him do something. I want to see him, you know, speak more, I guess, <laughs> and I want to see him actually, you know, be the Boba Fett that we may have heard of in the past, but maybe doing it for things other than himself, maybe doing things for good. Yeah, I think uh, I'm feeling an unforgiven vibe here. Again, a Clint Eastwood pull, but it's one of those things where he's going to come out of retirement. I think we will get some payoff to see why he was the legend that he was. I agree. Um, And so that wraps up the episode, basically. That's it, the end. So I have a question for you two. How do you think the rest of the season is going to play out? And how do you think uh, the season will end? I want to get your predictions now. Cool. I mean, this is... is big opener yeah it'll be hard to uh it'll be hard to keep this up this pace you know because like if i had to if i have to give it a number this is a 10 out of 10 episode for me agreed definitely one of the best um very very well done well executed where is it going from here well you know it's hard for me to to wrestle with all the rumors you know about um certain actors leaving and not being in the show for very long so i don't mm-hmm. i really don't know i i would love to see i would love to see ahsoka just because i'm an ahsoka fangirl um but again you know we, we have issues with the actress who may have been tapped to play ahsoka so there's conflicting thoughts there i don't know i honestly right. don't know where i, I feel this is going lawrence I, what about I don't you want to make too- 
Um, I'm going to agree 10 out of 10. Uh, it lacked for nothing. Uh, even the music cues oh, yeah. and sound effects, as you alluded to earlier, just it, it, I can't appreciate uh, it enough. Um, I do think we'll see Ahsoka. Um, I even am beginning to wonder if uh, General Harrell will make a, uh, uh, a cameo, if nothing else. Ooh, that'd be cool. um, I'm just getting some, some vibe off of that because she's in squadrons. Um, but I will say, I think, I'm not sure if we're looking at a buddy cop type thing, but I, I think we'll have a lot of Boba Fett. I, I don't think you bring something so shocking to the audience and then you don't pay off on it. Mm -hmm. So I don't expect it to, like, like I said, to be a buddy cop film for five of the episodes, but I, I think we're going to have a lot more interaction. And that's where I think Ahsoka comes in because she's had to deal with Boba Fett essentially on the other side of it, you know, competing uh, arcs back in the day in the animated shows and all that. So I think there will become a, 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 an inflection point where like all the different threads are gonna come together. How it will ultimately end in say uh, episodes eight, nine, 10, no way of knowing, but I, I think we are looking at some sort of big payoff here. I agree. So I think it's gonna, again, episode 10 out of 10 for me, I think it's gonna end with Moff Gideon, kind of how they ended with uh, season one because we still haven't seen many of the trailers or anything like that, but I think he's going to be towards the end because of his story and with the Darksaber and everything. I think also we will see Ahsoka at the very end uh, because I'm going to, if this was Tatooine, I'm going to place a bet now then that that ice planet that we saw is going to be Ilum. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say that he takes Baby Yoda there and the last shot that we see is a hooded Ahsoka and she walks out of the cave or we see her in some respect and she says, you know, a line or two or whatever but i think that's how sure. the season's gonna end i mean i guess if for whatever reason he can't get him to whatever the yoda species is if he can't mm -hmm. get him to those people the next best step would be getting him to the jedi yeah absolutely and which that's sort of the path yeah yeah and luke is a known jedi and there's a few others but really it's you know luke and ahsoka so at this time at least and I guess Leia, the Leia. And I do want to add one yeah. thing. I, you know, in the same way that I, I thought it was well done not to have it all about Baby Yoda, I'm glad that we didn't, didn't we didn't open up. I'm sorry, just to jump back one second, on uh, more about the dark saber. I thought it was awesome. Let's let's. Yeah. The world keeps moving on. We don't know what I else agree. is happening there. We'll get that, you know, in the coming season or coming episode. So that was very well done. Uh, so that about wraps us up here, guys. Um, it was a lot to talk about, but we're so happy that we did. Um, real quick, don't forget to follow us on Echo Station Cast on the Twitters. Uh, we cannot wait to talk more Mandalorian with you guys because this will go through basically until the end of the year. So uh, we can't it's wait for that. One bright shining thing throughout the rest of this year. Exactly. Yes. Um, we're going to apologize ahead of time because our episode releases Wednesday and that happens to be the day after the US elections. So <sighs> if we don't have our usual pep in our step, that is why. So we're gonna apologize right now for that. Um, uh, so real quick, Lawrence, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I really, really enjoyed it. And it's always good to go in and talk Star Wars with fellow fans. Yeah, thank you. We've been, we've been meaning to have Lawrence on for months now um, yeah well, thank so, you I, i'm anytime i am more than willing so just you know send out the uh the jedi signal absolutely. we will um so real quick where can people follow you on social media if you are on social media that is 
Uh, basically, I'm only on Twitter. Uh, it's at Lawrence underscore green. Uh, I will go ahead and say, uh, kind of hooking back to what you just said, maybe maybe wait until after the election, because mostly <laughs> it's uh, election stuff right now. Um, so uh, not too much Star Wars talk. <laughs> Although every now and again, if it's a, a really nice Star Wars piece, I will retweet it or post something up. Uh, so Chris, where can they follow you, my dear? Uh, as always, you can find me on the Twitter sphere at the Dirt Witch, and on Instagram at Chris Jaded. That's J A D E D. And then you can find me on uh, the Instagrams and the Facebooks at House of Turner Cosplay, and then on the Twitters at IR Turner, and of course again at Echo Station Cast on Twitter. Um, and uh, we are on Spreaker. We are on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts um iheart radio basically anywhere where you subscribe to get your podcasts we are on there um and also don't forget that if you guys leave us a review on one of these sites uh we will be shouting you out on a future episode and so we want to get those shout outs going want to get some reviews going in so um do you two have anything else to say before we go um if you have commentary um hit us up on hit us up on twitter let us know you know how did what did you think of the episode what are your what are your theories we had a poll we had a poll and everyone said the top answer was omfg i loved it so yeah well there you go yeah (laughs) Yeah, i was gonna say just uh i would love to go in and definitely get you know feedback from the fans if if they feel we saw what they saw you know the the arc of din and where we're going from here going forward uh yeah it's it's gonna be a great season i can tell and so many great episodes for Chris and I to record in the near future. So, uh, but until then guys, uh, stay happy, stay healthy, and may the force be with you. May the force be with you. May the force be with you.